Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Coover. Today, we're going to talk about P3s, public-private partnerships. We have D. Brown, who is the CEO of the P3 Group. P3 Group has several offices across the southeast portion of the United States. D and his crew are in town to talk with the top brass in Chicago uh, over the next couple days and the past couple days. We're recording this like about mid-August, and we're going to release this after the Labor Day holiday, probably about mid-September. And it is it was a fascinating conversation. We just finished it, and it was some of the best stories I have heard in a long time. I'm looking forward to getting to know D more and, and hear more stories. But essentially what the P3, what P3s are is when you have a private company work with a public agency, whether it's a municipality, a state, um, a federal agency, um, one of the you know, the army or the navy or something like that, in order to construct developments real estate developments, all sorts of developments, whether it's a fire station or it's um, some sort of facility or base or all sorts of things. And so what the P3 group does is they come in and they figure out how to finance it rather than just have the government pay for it uh, out of its own pocket. And they, they do it in a variety of creative ways, but it's P3s are just a really fascinating concept and it takes almost all skills that you see in the real estate world. It takes a tremendous knowledge of tax credit work and different sorts of creative financing. It requires leasing. It requires um, being able to work with public officials. It requires being able to explain things to constituents so they're not concerned about the cost and they believe in the project. So you have to have a certain amount of political um, skills in order to convince your public that this is going to be good for the cause. And then you also have to have uh, a tremendous background and experience in order to have the confidence to be able to, and the vision to see this project, to be able to sketch it out and to get all of these different parties together in terms of your vendors, your contractors, your public authorities, your people, Everyone together working and pulling in the same direction. It requires almost all skills, financing, acquisitions, dispositions, uh, evaluations of title. It just requires everything that's in the real estate professional's toolbox in order to be able to execute on these really massive and really fascinating uh, projects. So a little bit about D. He has a 26-year record of real estate sales, development, management, and success overseeing all phases of a multi-million dollar construction, infrastructure, water, sewer, environmental projects for government and private sector clients. His experience includes managing personnel of up to 200 people in highway and bridge improvements, asbestos abatement, real estate sales, development, solar inst installations, and other projects. He delivers on-time, on-budget, high-quality projects. D uh, has a mass bachelor's degree from the University of Memphis, MBA from Bethel University, is an affiliate broker, a lead green associate, a graduate realtor institute, is PACP, MACP, LACP certified. And I mean, this is what I'm talking about. You need all of these skills in order to put these projects together. And one 
just a little taste is he's going to tell a story on this podcast about changing out 60,000 pound cranes from the bottom of the ocean attached to nuclear submarines. And then we're going to tie that back into real estate. So stay tuned. You're going to love this conversation. I know I did. D. Brown at the P3 Group. And also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to me at uh, pcouver at clarkhill.com. Clark Hill is an international law firm with over 25 offices across the country, Mexico and Ireland. And uh, you can feel free to uh, reach out to me by email if you have any ideas about the show or you want to get in touch with D. We're also going to put D's contact information and website in our show notes. So you can see that on our website, realestatebreakfast.com and uh, also through iTunes. Thanks so much. Enjoy the conversation. Good morning. This is the the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. And today I have with me D Brown of P3 Group. D, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Phil, for having me. So, D, today we're going to talk about P3, public-private partnerships. And uh, just tell me, give me the big, uh, what broad explanation of your company. Sure, uh, Phil. Uh, the P3 Group is a real estate brokerage and consulting firm uh, that specializes in public-private partnerships. Uh, our typical client is uh, a government agency, a quasi-governmental agency, or non-profit organization uh, that's, that has a vision, um, you know, have a plan uh, or ideas from going from point A to point B, but oftentimes lack the capital or some of the tools to get there. And so what we pride ourselves in is that we kind of identify projects where there's a need, uh, where well, we have a, a client that that's trying to uh, deliver impact to their community, and that's whether it's you know uh, municipal essential services type projects or whether it's quality of life projects. But typically, our clients uh, are trying to change the landscape of their community. They're trying to revitalize it. They're trying to spur economic development, and they just need a little help to get from point A to point B. And we come in, offer a complete design, build, finance solution uh, that allow our clients to accomplish their goals. And what make us unique in that P3 space is that our typical client have smaller projects. Uh, these may be anywhere from 10 to $50 million. Uh, that's the space that a lot of P3 developers tend to stay away from because uh, the amount of work that goes into these projects and to get them off the ground. But that's what we like to operate. You know, at our company, we say we are the communities that we serve uh, because we we realize that when we leave that community, we would have had a significant uh, impact on changing the la- the landscape there. And uh, where are you located? Uh, we have uh, five offices, uh, primarily in the southeast. Uh, we're located in Memphis, uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas and Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, And we're looking, hopefully, over the next month or so, expanding to Illinois. Yeah, we're we're hopefully you come. When my colleague told me that he was going to be in town, uh, I said, i got to have him on the podcast. we got to talk about all these cool projects you guys are doing. Um, 
I also want to say to the listeners that the P3 space is really unique in that I think it's probably some of the hardest degree of difficulty in terms of the skills that are required to put these projects together. You have to understand how governments work. You understand how people work. You have to understand how the, the private enterprises work. You have to be able to, to have the vision to put the project together, the technical skills. You're doing leasing. You're doing financing. I mean, it covers basically every area that any particular person might specialize in. And you're like, well, we just get a, we got the whole toolbox. We got to put it all together to, to, in order correct. to get this off the ground. <laughs> yeah, we cover a lot of territory. Um, again, we when we come to a municipality or an agency, I mean, we bring everything, all the resources. So we bring legal counsel. Uh, we bring uh, surveyors and engineers and geotechnical testers and environmental consultants, uh, architects. Um, construction management. So you have all of these services bundled up in one uh, under one eight uh, company. And then we also deliver the financing for the project. But for agencies, the really cool thing about this is that oftentimes when you're not using a P3 model, uh, you can have a vision or goals and you go out and you hire an architect or engineer to start designing a project. And once you put that project out on the streets for, for bid, you find out that it's over budget. We can't you know, afford to do it. Well, since we front all of those costs for our clients, our number one job is to make sure that number one, the project is financeable and affordable. So all of that is flushed out on the front end. And then because we use a design build mythology, uh, our construction team, architectural team, engineers are all bundled into one contract. So as we are designing the project, it's interactive with the construction side of the house so that we know that we're maintaining the budget that was set by the client. So at the end of the process, uh, because this is an integrated project delivery method, which means we got all the stakeholders at the table, the end user group, as well as our team, we're designing a project that meet their specification, but at the same time, we're maintaining that budget that was set. And so oftentimes, when you're dealing with agencies and stakeholders, uh, during that design process, it, they come up with ideas on changes or how they would like to do things differently. But with our method, we're able to tell them, you know, in a matter of days, not weeks or months, hey, that the suggestion that you made, we've evaluated it. And if you do that, it's going to bust your budget. Do you want to make that decision to increase the budget now or do you want to maintain the budget? Or it could be that it doesn't have an impact on budget and we can make it with no problem. But that process proves to be really, really good for agencies who are oftentimes spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on design services only to have those plans somewhere in the closet that will never be built because they can't afford them. Right. And I, I would imagine what you bring to the table is also, let's say, a governmental agency, a town, a state that wants to build something, they don't have the real estate background to have any idea what they should spend or what's a what's a good budget, what's not a good budget. Is this going to cost $10 million? Is it cost, I have no idea. Right. Um, That's right. So, you know, you, you need somebody like the P3 group that has the experience to say, this is what it's going to cost and this is how you can finance it. you got to right. give them the options. That's right. And that's the beauty of having the legal, the real estate expertise, 
the construction piece, design, all bundled into one. And if you don't mind, I'll give you a, a perfect case study. Um, we had um, um, a municipality, uh, West Memphis, Arkansas, that was preparing to do a public referendum uh, to finance all their f- municipal facilities. Had, they had not had any new uh, municipal facilities developed since the 1970s. It was like office buildings for uh, the government? Two, uh, f- two fire stations, okay. municipal courthouse, yeah. police station. Uh, no new buildings since the 70s. So they were getting ready to incur significant costs to do a public referendum to finance these facilities. And under Arkansas law, when they, when they pledge their full faith and credit behind an obligation, uh, the maximum term that they can finance is five years. Well, we consulted with them, uh, got legal uh, opinions from our team on how to structure the transaction, and we were able to deliver that project through a tax-exempt lease purchase agreement using Amendment 65, which they had never heard of, but it was on the books in uh, Arkansas. We gave them um, uh, 20-year financing, 2.95% interest rate fixed for 20 years, uh, and they did not have to pledge their full faith and credit behind the obligation. So they still have the same bonding capacity available to take on other capital improvement projects that they may want to do on their own without a P3 uh, model being involved. So it was, it was very, very helpful for them. And they actually told the uh, um, media in a press conference that the reason that they did it was because they did not have to pledge their credit and the longer term, which made the project more affordable for them. So how does that uh, financing work? So is it a loan from a bank? Do they issue bonds? Like sure. how, did, how did it work? We, we have uh, a couple ways that we, we approach this. Uh, so we can do either a public offering, uh, which is a pretty typical approach that we would take, or we could do a private placement. And it really based it we we based that on the the, the type of project, um, how we feel the credit stacks up for the for that particular project, and what we think will I guess be the best for the for the client in the long run. And so we we could do either of those two options, um, but that's primarily all of our projects are financed one of those two ways. Um. So I've seen sometimes in a P3 situation, so let's, it doesn't have to, let's take a municipality, it doesn't have to be your exact example. And they say, okay, we're going to build all these buildings, it's going to cost $30 million. So you would go in there and would you develop and then somebody else owns the property and they lease back to the municipality? Sure. So what we do, uh, municipality wants to develop uh, a building or buildings. We establish a special purpose entity uh, that will actually own the asset. Then we typically put in a fiduciary, whether it's the bond trustee, uh, but someone that basically facilitates uh, or acts as the landlord for us, accept the payments, make sure the bond holders are paid, or make sure the bank who may have purchased the uh, the paper uh, through a private placement, make sure they're paid. So at the end of that lease purchase agreement, the agency, owns the asset for a $1 buyout. So we are fee developers. We don't mark up the payments. Uh, If we give you a 2.95% rate, then your lease payment, if you plug it into the amortization schedule, is going to be 
what you would have if you go into the bank and finance it. So it's really the best of both worlds. You're, you're, you're getting uh, your payments as if you got traditional financing, but you're not pledging uh, your full faith and credit behind it. And the really unique thing about what we do is that we can accept appropriation risk. So a lot of times uh, deals fall apart because it may be state law or some rule that says all obligations have to be subject to annual appropriations and the availability of, of funds. Well, we accept that risk and it's not an issue for us to finance projects based on that. Yeah. So in that example, you would you issue bonds to get money coming in to, to finance the project and then you have the bond trustee will say to the municipality okay we got the money we got the 30 million let's call it to, to build the buildings and then you municipality you pay me a monthly lease payment for 40 years and then that will pay off the bondholders we give them the money and then we'll give it to you yes that's for a, a dollar that's right that's exactly you gotta come up with that dollar you gotta come up with the dollar at the end <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I mean, and then the bondholders are happy. You know, bondholders are happy because we you know we evaluate the credit. It's you know safe municipal, you know typical municipal bond deal. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Well, I also I was uh, researching a little bit. Uh, I want you to tell me what year. I want to talk about the Clarksdale Mississippi deal because okay. that must be near and dear to your heart. But before I get it, I was I if you look at D's bio on the P3 website and we'll put the links to the web. You can Google P3 group. It pops right up. Uh, but I'll put links to the website in our show notes. But D in your bio, it talks about um, your first job kind of in the P3 space where you, you were hired by the U S Navy nuclear power command at goose Creek, South Carolina to do a massive job unthinkable job i had no idea these types of jobs existed but now that point i was like well somebody's got to figure out how to lift sixty thousand pounds right. out of the ocean so you got to tell me about this how sure. did you how did you pull this off well the um the nuclear command uh unit was looking for um a small business enterprise to come in and perform this work uh, for them. And I think this was around 2013-ish when we got the call. And we had previous experience with the Army Corps of Engineers. And so that previous federal experience um, made them reach out to me. And so what they wanted was, number one, they wanted a heavy uh, marine equipment package. Uh, At the time, I I didn't have the full specs. I'm talking to a contracting officer. And I'm trying to understand they want a, you know, a, a 500,000 pound crane and they're very specific in the specifications, uh, Matawak crane, and they, but they want this crane on a barge. And I was like, why do you want the crane on the barge? And they said, well, we need help um, changing sea anchors on nuclear submarines. And they're 60,000 pounds each. So we, we evaluated the specifications and what we realized, right, okay, okay, in order to pull this off, we had to rent a shipyard. Uh, then we had to uh, procure this 500,000-pound crane, the barges, and a couple tugboats. And we literally had to uh, construct this gangway that could be used to load the barge, the, the crane, onto the barge. 
And once we got it loaded and secured, the tugboats had to take this into the nuclear uh, facility. But before you can get inside the nuclear facility, uh, there's this uh, kind of safe zone area. And these Navy divers come out and they spend a whole day uh, bomb sweeping the yeah. equipment to make sure there are no bombs and that sort of thing. And also you have to, you can't bring in like your typical you know, iPhones, Androids. Uh, they want you to have what they call intrinsically safe phones. In other words, your old flip phones or, you know, the old school phones from the from the 90s is the only yeah. thing you bring. So we had to actually get all of our guys these old phones. We had to find them because that was the only communication that we, we would have. And so we um, went through the bomb suite, went into the uh, submarine and um, into the uh, nuclear command center. But we had to have all of our people had to be trained to operate and rig on a, what they call a floating derrick. So typically when you're operating a crane, you're on a stable surface, right? There's no ebbs and flows, you know, no, no movement. But because you're, you, you know, you're having to uh, operate this on a barge that's floating, uh, we had to bring in trainers out of Atlanta and get all of our people certified, which was one of the requirements from the Navy. And we got them trained at the shipyard um, to be certified in operating and rigging uh, on a floating derrick. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went into the facility and uh, the job lasted 26 days. And uh, basically we, we went in and we changed out 60,000 pounds sea anchors uh, on the nuclear submarine fleet. <laughs> it was an exciting job. That is yeah. that is insane. So, I mean, how do you even... First of all, I hope you were compensated for all the sleepless nights. I was. It paid pretty well. <laughs> because, I mean, I imagine you had nightmares, and maybe even you still do, about the barge tipping over with that crane. Well, you know, that was my whole my whole fear was that when they went to load the barge, I mean, the crane onto the barge, that it would flip up or something would happen. But, yeah, I was up. Every night, just thinking like, I hope this barge is okay. I mean, this crane is okay uh, on this barge. And then I get a call in the middle of the night saying the the crane had been struck by lightning. What? And I was like, Wait a minute! <laughs> I got, I, out of all the things that could go wrong, the crane got struck by lightning, but it ended up being uh, minimal damage, maybe a few thousand dollars in damage to the crane. But it, it only served to make it worse for me the rest of the trip. So I was I was happy in some respects that it was only 26 days. Right. Because I just kept thinking to myself, something's going to happen. Insurance company's going to say, no, nah, we're not going to pay it. And I'm going to be stuck with $10 million worth of equipment. <laughs> that is insane. Um, so... You know, it says you're the first minority Department of Defense contractor uh, to hold a federal contract, the U.S. Navy Nuclear Power Command. Uh, have you done any projects for them since? Or is uh, we have not done any more. They actually contacted us the, the following year and asked us, uh, did we want to uh, do the contract again? And we, we were so busy, and I just felt like I had, <laughs> no. I had other things I could yeah. do to build my resume a lot more safely. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we have done, um, with other branches of the uh, federal government, we've done a lot of work with uh, the core and about four or five different districts, uh, Department of Interior, uh, in uh, Brazoria, Texas, 
Uh, we did work with the uh, Coast Guards down in Bradenton, um, yeah, Bradenton, Florida. And um, of course, we've done the Corps in a number of different districts, uh, Wilmington, uh, Cairo, Illinois, Memphis, uh, New Orleans. So we've, we've had a, a, a really good, uh, well-rounded experience with federal contracting. And we have a really exciting P3 project uh, that we were just recently awarded in New Orleans that has all of those different uh, components tied to it. It was a uh, uh, Algiers Development District, which is a quasi-governmental agency. Um, we're, we were awarded uh, a P3 contract to do a regional public safety facility. And this is going to be, uh, and it's growing because agencies are still signing on, but somewhere in the neighborhood of an 80,000 square foot regional public safety facility uh, is going to house uh, Department of Justice. Uh, it's going to house military police, state police, uh, EMS services. Uh, we're being told that DEA, FBI, Homeland Security will all be there. Uh, we are in the early stages of design right now, and we're going to we're going to design this facility, the, the, the central command portion of it. Uh, we're going to design it to withstand you know, all types of inclement weather. Uh, it'll be able to operate uh, on its own without water, without sewer and power for up to three weeks. So it's going to be a very exciting, very exciting project. That's really cool. I once had a, a security specialist on this podcast. And one of the things that he would always talk about is people always think of security, think of active shooters or attacks, but really the weather and, right. and weather-related challenges can be as big as or greater threat to uh, to a facility That's than, right. than some sort of you and, know, traditional attack. Right, and a lot of agencies um, have recognized the need to be able to remain online and active uh, mm -hmm. during these, these threats. And, and so this facility will have uh, housing. Uh, so there'll be a male and female dormitory. Uh, it would have a, a full kitchen uh, with dining and cooking areas. So in the event that a hurricane or natural disaster is approaching, uh, they can call in their chefs. Uh, they can go into their emergency mode uh, shifts and they can literally live right there on site, have meals, uh, sleeping quarters, and then your central command unit that will continue to operate off off the grid, offline, off off of the sanitary sewer system. Uh, it'll continue to roll, uh, and we plan to have about a three week capacity on that. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's I mean, this, a little bit off topic, but that's why I always worry about like blockchain. And when people talk about blockchain, it's like, well, what if the grid's out? Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, that thing operates on the grid, uh, but you know, what if the grid is not working? That's right. Um, that's unbelievably cool. What, what an incredible project. Um, tell me about, you're from Clarksdale, Mississippi? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I saw that you guys were able to p help them put together and their, their new mayor, uh, Mayor Espy, yes, um, a project there that one, that one must be near and dear. Oh yeah, uh, definitely the uh, Corea Moore uh, complex uh, is named after a uh, mutual friend of mine and the mayor who had um, a really burning desire to make a difference in the, in the lives of young people. Uh, he was serving as a intern for Congressman Benny Thompson, 
and passed away just unexpectedly uh, during, his, during his time there in Washington, D.C. And so as we started to develop the program for this facility, uh, we decided to name it after him. So it, it has a lot of uh, meaning to, to myself, to Mary, as well as a lot of the uh, citizens in Clarksdale. But that's a really exciting project, uh, a rural development project, one that has taken a lot of creativity uh, to pull all the pieces together. Uh, you know, from a capital stack standpoint, we have uh, new market tax credits, mm. uh, opportunity zone funds. Mm. Uh, there's a component with low income housing tax credits. Um, the city created, um, uh, we used the urban renewal statutes in Mississippi. Uh, so we have uh, essentially what functions as a TIF, uh, where the, t- the incremental increase in tax revenue for that district uh, will go back to support the, the lease payment on the public infrastructure. Um, so the city is funding um, the development or reimbursing the, the cost of all of your water, sewer, uh, streets, uh, through those property tax, sales tax revenues. Uh, and so they've committed to contribute all of that back to the project. So very exciting project, uh, grocery store, uh, 46 home subdivision, uh, 108 room, Globe by Best Western Hotel, conference center, uh, water park, and athletic fields. Uh, so just live, work, play uh, community right in the Mississippi Delta. A uh, lot of work, a lot of lot of team members have worked tirelessly to to make that project a uh, reality for the city of Clarksdale. Well, I mean, you have every type of financing available, <laughs> right? <laughs> we have a, a, a an attorney here just down the hall that does the new markets tax credits and low income tax credits work, and uh, I've, I've worked with them on a couple projects. And you know, it takes a genius to understand those little tax how those tax credits work, and then you have TIF on top of that, right? And that's that's pretty incredible. And you know, just if the listeners out there they're just understanding that what they're what P three is doing is they're helping these communities figure out creative ways. To, to build and, and to build development where your traditional developers may not be able to get it to pencil out. They right. May, yeah, they may right. not be able to figure out, and then they're just going to look elsewhere. Right. And so it takes uh, some real creativity and ingenuity in order to, to put these projects together. Uh, when do you anticipate that will be developed? We're breaking ground in, uh, we're planning November of this year. And we anticipate the first two phases to, to be complete by January 2021. And then the final phase, which would be the athletic fields, we're thinking around the spring of 2022. Wow. So it's a, it's a lot of work. We got about right at two years of pre-development uh, work in the project. And we've probably got about two years looking forward to, you know, to go to get it completed uh, but look, you know, it's a it's a project that's going to have um, substantial impact on the lives of, of a lot of people there in the community. Uh, it's going to reshape the landscape. It's going to get people uh, who thought that these type of projects, you know, couldn't happen in their, in their community. It's going to give them hope that, you know, there's uh, better things in store for the community. Yeah. You know, good things take time. Um, it's funny when you said that you're breaking ground in November 
and I can tell you're from a different geographic area because I'm like, oh, no one breaks ground in November here in <laughs> Chicago. Uh, that, that ground should be pretty solid there once you get going. Well, you know, I, you know, ironically, that time of the year is it's a it's a hit and miss time for us, but for a different reason. Uh, we don't have the extremely cold weather and frozen conditions, but we could once you kind of roll into December, January. Uh, sometimes we get into what you know rainy season mm -hmm. and that can kind of slow the process up so I'm sure I'm sure um, can you tell us about what was the most challenging project you've ever had wow I would say challenging I would I think we've talked about the two two of the most yeah. challenging ones there I mean I think from a financing standpoint uh, the Clarksdale project uh, just because there's so many different layers of financing to it, and then you're making all of it sync up, mm -hmm. you know, and then there are timing, you know, requirements for for these different programs. Uh, new markets, they come out once a year. Uh, the CDEs, when they award the credits, they, they want them deployed within a certain amount of time. You got to sync that up with the financing. And so in that financing package, we're issuing bonds. Uh, we're doing uh, equity. Uh, we're we're doing some non recourse debt, and and so you got all these different layers of financing that have to come together simultaneously uh, to make the project go. So from a financing standpoint, I would say Clarksdale. From an execution standpoint, I would say the Goose Creek uh, nuclear facility project, just because of the, you know, um, a lot of times if you talk to construction guys. Uh, you know, we're we're really big on safety. And so a lot of people don't understand that when you're executing this type of work, uh, you know, you, people's lives are, you know, really at risk. I mean, you have to operate safely. Uh, it's just really, really important. And so uh, for me, the Goose Creek Project was the one where I was really concerned that someone would end up hurt mm -hmm. if something didn't go right. And so that, but we we pulled it off with no without any incidents, and uh, in fact we've never had we've never had a reportable uh, workman's compensation claim, and you know since we've been in business, but um, yeah, right, knock on wood. <laughs> but uh, that definitely from an execution standpoint, uh, and we do a lot of work. We've done a lot of work that you know with heavy equipment that's dangerous and. You know, but that was one I think that was on the next level for me. Yeah, that one is definitely one that you'll always be telling that story. Right. And um, that's why I didn't go back because I said as a good resume builder, yeah, right. let's not let's not mess with perfection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's only there's only one way that I can go it's down. <laughs> right. Um I was wondering, so you, clearly you work with a lot of municipalities, a lot sure. of government agencies. Do you ever bring in private investors into your deals? Well, um, there are some occasions where, like, for example, I will go back to Clarksdale as one. The bulk of our financing packages, uh, we don't take in investors. Uh, typically, if it's just a bread and butter municipal deal, it's a fire station, it's a you know, public safety, uh, uh, we're, we're working on a hospital project. Uh, with the hospital, uh, those type of deals, we don't really need private investors. Uh, Clarksdale, because of the different components and some of those businesses, um, uh, municipalities, the government couldn't operate. Uh, we had to bring in private investors. 
uh, we are looking at some projects here in the Chicago area where we do, um, we will be bringing in private investors, uh, uh, private operators. Um, we do about 5% of our work is in the, in the private sector, typically with established uh, companies. And so we have, for example, we're developing restaurants, privately owned mm-hmm. restaurants for um, a Jordan, Hospita- Jordan Hospitality Group out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, they will own, operate uh, those facilities, and they're putting you know, their own equity into the deal, and we're putting some equity in as well. So we do have that kind of smaller piece of our business where we do corporate, uh, you know, finance type transactions. Yeah, I asked just because I'm sure some of our listeners out there are are investors, and you know, if they if they're yeah. so interested in all these right. projects, I didn't know if there's an opportunity sure. for them well, we, to we be think involved. In, we think in Chicago we're going to have some really really exciting opportunities. A little bit early to just kind of get to the, to the say, details you, of it, but I that, would say that that's for our dinner later. Yeah, that's for dinner. <laughs> we're looking at uh, you know retail, uh, uh, office, uh, structured parking, uh, and apartments, housing uh, on several different uh, locations. So we we think we'll have a, a pretty good uh, footprint in in Chicago here soon. Well, that's fantastic. You know, we're excited about you bringing your creativity, your resources to the Chicagoland area. Uh, we welcome it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you out of here because I know that you've got meetings lined up all day with with, with all the great people in Chicago. So yes. we we appreciate you making time for us and and sharing your thoughts and your stories with our listeners. And you're always welcome back, D. Thanks a lot, Phil. I appreciate it. No information contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or other professional advice, and no professional relationship of any kind is created between you, the podcast host, the guests, or Clark Hill, PLC. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and the guests and not necessarily Clark Hill PLC.